0: Well, hello everyone. Uh, hi, Carlo, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Shahir, How are you, by the way?
0: I'm good, I'm good, man. I'm good. Thank you for agreeing to join me on this episode. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about the election in the Philippines. Um, and I saw on Instagram you would posted some stuff about it, so I thought I'd invite you and we could talk a bit about what's going on in your country.
1: Well, I'm glad to uh, let you know what's happening in my country, you know, and it's just going to that's going to happen in two days. And it's going to be interesting to discuss it, you know, uh, as
0: we look
1: forward to the results.
0: Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, Carl, I think to understand the elections a bit better, uh, we need a bit more context about the Philippines' political system, political culture. And if you could tell us a bit about its political history, I think that would be great to set us up for further discussion.
1: All right, that's cool. Um, First of all, uh, I know your viewers. so Most of your viewers might be uh, not be Filipinos, or they might be aware like their ideas of, of the Philippines are more based on what's being reported on the news. I just want to put uh-huh. out, out there that my views are kind of an orthodox. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: I might go against or not go directly the same as uh, those that are being reported in the news out there so yeah Yeah, just think of it like for your viewers uh you could use my opinions as an alternate view basically it's not necessarily wrong or it's not necessarily right but just put it out there you know for comparison
0: definitely Carlo, and definitely and we i I think you're going to give some very interesting insights so keep it real my friend that's all i can say keep it real
1: okay I'll try to be balanced as much as possible, okay. Even though I might be biased in certain areas, I'll try to keep it balanced for your, for your viewers. Anyway, well, let's okay. start. So let's start with the context and let's discuss like the political system and the political culture of the Philippines. So in the political system, it's basically a presidential system, which is a byproduct of our of our colonization by the U. S. back in the early 20th century
0: mm-hmm. however
1: we modified a few things it's not exactly like the u.s system like for example we don't unlike in the u.s where you elect a president and vice separate and president together in one ticket like that's why you have you didn't vote you voted for for americans they voted for joe biden
0: and, kamala and along harris. with
1: that they got kamala harris at that that too. In the Philippines, it's different. We elect our president separate to the vice president. Mm-hmm. And both of them, uh, they serve, uh, actually no, the president serves six a single six year term and they cannot uh, repeat it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Anyway, in the political culture, uh, we're a multi-party system and, but the party system that we have, it's very weak. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a, like, it's not, you cannot compare it to the, the Democrats or the Republicans in the United States. It's more like part in, within our country, parties come and go, mostly it's a, it's a platform for politicians to launch their political careers or have the politi- you know, the political machinery basically. And it's also uncommon for um, for politicians to switch parties after the elections. Like I could be a conservative today running for the elections, but come come the elections day, I see the labor winning. I could switch to Labour immediately, and then nobody cares. So that's one thing. Also, yeah, it's it's not necessarily ideologically based. It's based on personality. So it's more of like, we're choosing which celebrities we like more that rather than the policies that we want to be implemented. That's how the political culture works in the Philippines. And also, um, there's a, a political dynasties, plans play an important role within, within the country. And usually, Elections are based on alliances of different political parties from different regions in wow. in the country. Like That's actually what's happening now with Marcos, but I'll go on that later.
0: Mm-hmm. Carlo, when you're telling me about uh, the state of the electoral landscape in the Philippines, I think it's very similar to my country as well, where you have a cult following of politicians, and then you have divisions based on geography. So, I think we can draw some parallels between the Philippines and the rest of the developing world in this context, too.
1: I I guess so. Yeah, Uh, I think that's possible, too. Um,
0: Yeah, but anyways, uh, back to the political history of of the Philippines. Um, What can you tell us about that? How do you think it's relevant to the present? How is the continuity of democracy in the Philippines been?
1: Okay, Uh, first of all, I'm a history nerd and I like to use history to explain the things that are happening right now. So I might go a little bit long here, but I think it's really necessary to understand the history first. Mm -hmm. Like what led to the present events now before we jump into the elections. So to start with, I will start in 1965, that's when the father, of uh, the leading candidate now, uh, Ferdinand Balbal, Ferdinand Ball Marcus Jr. was mm-hmm. elected. He was like Ferdinand Marcus Senior. Uh, he was a politician. Presented himself as a guerrilla leader, even mm-hmm. though reports say that uh, you know it was false, like a lot of the claims that he made was falsified. Uh, but yeah, anyway, he gets elected in 1965. There were initially good economic policies. High economic growth he gets re-elected in 1969. However, hmm. by uh, immediately after 1969, things started to decline. Opposition to his rule, the way he handles things, started to grow to grow. So mm-hmm. it was supposed like the next election was supposed to be 1973. However, like he fearing that 1972, uh Marcus Senior declares martial law.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the excuse
1: mm-hmm. was uh, there was like a rising communist insurgency and then there was also uh, a Muslim separatist movement within the south mm-hmm. of our country ah. during the period, youth uh as you might have heard thousands uh, were arrested killed mm-hmm. tortured or disappeared uh fun fact by the way uh so in the english, the english word for salvage means to save something right yeah in Filipino, do you know that when we say salvage something, we, we mean to dispose of or to kill something? And this became somewhat, uh, it's the term that's being used in the Philippines to describe the victims or, you know, the, those who got killed, those who disappeared in, in Marcus's diamond office, by the way.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, no, that's I very interesting. In yeah that's very interesting the 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 use of english language and the way that it transitions from you know native speakers to non-native speakers uh do you know what a brinjal is carlo a brinjal what yeah tell me about it yeah so like if you go to the united states or go to the united kingdom there will be no such thing as a brinjal it's an eggplant but somewhere along the line language transition you know we created our own words in english language and now, if you want to buy eggplant in South Asia, in India, Pakistan, then you have to ask for a brinjal at the supermarket. So, you talking about the word salvage made me, made me like reminisce about this. Anyways, uh, sorry to interrupt you over there. Uh, could you please go on?
1: Okay, here's another thing Jewish. Uh, it's a minor thing, but basically, uh, Marco Sr. creates a new constitution, by the way. Um, so, he it goes off from the American like from the constitution that we had right before our independence from America, which is like the nineteen thirty five constitution. Because by the way, yeah. during that time, um, America gave us like ten years of self rule before mm-hmm. our independence. It was just cut short by World War Two, but then eventually by the end of World War Two, that was at the end of the ten year self rule. We just kept mm-hmm. the same same uh, same constitution until mm-hmm. at this point. So you think know, there's a new constitution, uh, it's a minor thing, but basically, it legalizes this You have to remember this because this is like one of the issues that would come out in in, in the future. Also, about the economics, that there's or like the economics the policy, domestic policies. Mm-hmm. There's split opinions here. Like the common opinion, the common uh, that is being raised by historians, uh, people against Marcus is that, or critics of Marcos is that it was a time marked of corruption, high debt. And crony mm-hmm. capitalism. However, if you ask some people, like a lot of, by the way, a lot of people, you know, were not necessarily uh, like a but, you know, ordinary people from outside the cities, such as, for example, my parents. They remember, like, they have a nostalgia for that time because, like, they would say that there were, like, some good social policies, such as, um, like, doctors go visiting, visiting, you know, for families within within isolated villages, Mm -hmm. uh, free food, uh, food, or discounted food, subsidized food of infrastructure projects.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: This was like something that's being used later on, by the way.
0: Yeah. So so Carlo, can we say that Marcos Senior was a benevolent dictator? He had a sort of us versus them mindset where, you know, if you were a citizen and you were just going about your life, you were not too politically active, you could gain some benefits of working together with the state. Do you think that's a correct assessment?
1: I would say uh, the, the legacy of Marcos is mixed. Uh uh-huh. I wouldn't claim I wouldn't claim a certain position because to because yeah, to begin with, I wasn't born yet during that time. I'm I'm mm-hmm. relying mostly on like the reports that I see from from my school and from the reports that I see from my relatives, from my parents, and like the mm-hmm. older the elders around the older people around me. So mm-hmm. I would say it's a mix. Maybe there should be uh like at this point I think there should be a f- push for critical reassessment. I mean I'm not say I'm not endorsing denialism or negationism here. Uh, this is revisionism basically, but I think. Sometimes there are certain uh, like the narratives that's being exposed in the school system. It's too one-sided, in my opinion. It always mm-hmm. it, it focuses us on the negatives. It doesn't care to explain why some people ex- why do some people think of it as a good time, or at least give uh, explore that idea. Like why was it? Why do some people see it as a good time then? Anyway, nineteen going back. Okay, so the martial law lasted from 1972 to 1981. 1981, the martial law, like some reports say it was in order just as a sign of goodwill towards uh, Pope John Paul II who, was, who visited the Philippines during that time.
0: So uh-huh. yeah.
1: 1983, a leading opposition leader, uh, his name is Benigno Ninoy Aquino uh, Jr. Like he, so he was a, he was, ex, he was imprisoned by Marcos initially at the start of uh, martial law. He, he went on a hundred strike, got, mm-hmm. uh, got hospitalized. He was sent on exile to the U S he decides to return to the Philippines. Upon his return he, to the Philippines, his, his, airplane parked in the tarmac. He was escorted out of the plane jet bridge walk down the stairs to, into a prison van but like right before he was getting up the prison van he gets assassinated Whoa. Nobody knew. a lot of people were um, aviation security uh, members were arrested there was a trial there was an investigation but until now even to this point no one is uh, they still don't know who actually did it some people say it was like the common common uh, common view is that it was marcos who did it or at least his wife who did it but it wasn't proven much and yeah uh and still there's a debate going on about it 1986 Uh he decided uh Marcos senior decides to call it a snap election uh apparently there was like a divergence the official count showed that marcos um won independent pollsters independent poll watchers said that the the opposing candidate who by the way is the wife of that assassinated leader uh the name is Corazon Cori Aquino so, uh, person one Marcos initially they went with the, the, the official count which was like showed that Marcos win um people protested in Manila uh, it was uh, it was called they blocked one avenue in in metro Manila it's called Edsa and then, through that protest, uh, eventually some of Marcus's uh, officials, uh, mostly within the military and the police, uh, defect into the other side. Uh, Marcus decides to, like, I'm gonna leave, go to an exile. And then after that, he takes, takes his... Uh, but before leaving, he decides to take a lot of uh, wealth, like, a lot of, like, the money, you know, with him before he goes to hawaii where he stays until he died in like
0: 1989 ah. so yeah um uh and then uh, we move on to the current president uh rodrigo uh, duterte okay
1: let me just like okay let me just like go on like the, the mid the after uh the after marcos but before duterte first right, right. so yeah Eventually, so who replaced Marcos was Correaquino, like the, the one that, won uh, actually won in 1986. However, at that time, she basically reverses everything that Marcos did. She also cha- she also decides to draft a new constitution, which a lot of people like. It's not a lot, like it's a national thing, but like there's a, a significant portion of the population that are saying that there are problems with it. There they should be, they should be amending it, but. Even time and time again, it gets uh, it gets boxed because of like what happened with uh, you know with Marcos. Like when he changed the constitution, it became, it led to a dictat- led to a legalized dictatorship. A lot of, like a lot of people would use the same argument every time uh, arguments against con- ar- arguments for constitutional reforms change, even though it's something for changing the economic system, the the political structure so on uh, but and that time was also relatively unstable like there were like energy shortages, several coup attempts. Mm-hmm. So yeah 1992 1998 there were elections but there wasn't a scene of continuity even though like, mm-hmm. like some it's either the presidents during that point would blame their predecessors or like the predecessors would act as opposition leaders to the next president. Uh, 2001 there was like a second level uh, second revolution uh, in in the same true fair that uh, in the same way the same road that where people lined up to overthrow Marcos it was so that was like Ed two 2004 there was like another election uh, uh, it's by President Gloria Arroyo, who by the way was a was a former like she worked in the administration of uh, Cory Aquino before, but eventually mm-hmm. uh, things happen. Aquino's like, and initially she was actually somewhat a pro-Aquino candidate, but then eventually there were some disagreements. Aquino's keep keep on attacking her, kind of pushes her out. 2010, mm-hmm. uh, the son of both Cory and Noy uh, uh, Benigno Noy Aquino Aquino III gets elected. By the way, mostly through a sympathy vote because right before the election campaign started, like, the, the filing for election candidacies happened, Cory um, Gar- Aquino died. Somehow, boosted, like, boosted somewhat his popularity even though it was just, like, a relatively new politician on the national scene. Gave him the shot to become the president. Anyway, mm-hmm. thing about him, he always blames the previous administrations, uh, like, particularly with the the Arroyo administration for all the problems that were being faced, there was relatively rare. there was relative economic growth mostly thanks to the policies that were implemented by her by his predecessor. Mm-hmm. He also decides to imprison his uh, predecessor like Arroyo um, for corruption charges which is like in some ways true but it was it kind of didn't look good you know for like you know both uh, po- the succession, twice, and then there were also a lot of issues that somehow were being used by the people. That kind of propped up to third later on. there was like a initial early on to his term, there was like a hostage crisis, and uh, that strained our relationship with Hong Kong.
0: Uh-huh. it was
1: like badly, it was badly handled, led to the death of us, of some tourists from hong kong that were visiting manila during that time basically there was like a bus a policeman boards it kills uh and then he was just like asking for something like review my case i think he was acquired or something because of something but he just like wanted i would just wanted to be to have my case treated properly they dragged it on eventually the hostage shaker got uh killed, they started harming some some were shot by the police, sometimes some were shot by the by the policemen, like the hostage takers themselves. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. there's also the, the political witch hunt basically. Uh, so, he caused the the impeachment of the Chief Justice of the Philippines at that time. Mostly, uh, and it was politically motivated because like, the Chief Justice was nominated by his predecessor. There was also the another one was like a response to a typhoon. I don't know if you might heard of it, like Typhoon Haiyan, or in the Filipino, well, it's uh, uh, Typhoon Yolanda. It ravaged oh. Central Philippines. A lot of, a lot thousands of casualties,
0: uh-huh. uh,
1: millions of damages, and the response was bad. And actually, somehow propped up the death, like somehow inspired the territory, which I'll be explaining in, in a bit. And then lastly there was this uh Mama Sapano clash Basically forty-four of our special police uh police of members forty four members of our special police unit were killed after they got ambushed in a field uh, in a potch it I mean they got to kill the target, but eventually when they were getting out they were ambushed killed forty four policemen and apparently his response to it and the way it was planned out by him, it, it didn't look good. And it also didn't help him, help when the family members of these dead policemen visited the president and he was just joking around. You know, it was kind of an incident, it kind of looked insulting. Anyway, moving on to Duterte. Anyway, context of Duterte, he was like the son of an ex-governor of Davao. He initially worked as a prosecutor and then he was an ally of the Aquinos. Like Aquino, Cory Aquino appointed him as the O of like the OIC mayor of uh Davo City, a city in the south. He later became its mayor, served so for like uh I think three terms, he became a congressman, goes back to mayor again after he was term limited. He goes to a vice mayor with his daughter sat serving as president. It was highly effective. He transformed the city. Uh, this is like where he actually started the idea of a war on drugs or war on criminality, by the way. Yeah. And he basically, when he was like running for election, he basically sold the idea. I sold it in Davao. I can, sold, I can bring it, I, I can scale it up, bring it to the Philippines. Yeah. The crime is done. That made the city relatively safe, by the way or at least a perception of it within the people. and it's rel- I mean, it's relatively safe if you think about it, compared to the other. Crime rates, uh, relatively robbery, it's not that much reported. Uh, people have more confidence within the police system, everything. It was also very popular, by the way. It's not just in a city, but within, that isle- within the region, the greater southern region in itself. And then he also creates a working city system, like a working fire department, working police, uh, working rescue. By the way, he uses this rescue unit to send it to the, the places that were ravaged heavily by the typhoon Yolanda. And he saw firsthand how badly the previous administration mismanaged. Mm-hmm. And he uses this to criticize uh, the government's response, basically. You know? And then that somehow propelled him to the... He like, basically presents himself like... The government was kind of incompetent in dealing with the situation. Like, they were prepared. A lot of people were dying. And they were just, like, they were just sitting ducks, basically. You know, that was his criticism. Anyway, this propels up his popularity. He becomes anti-relatively. He was, like, an... So, he started as an ally of Aquino. That he even campaigned for, like, the previous president during his election. That he eventually... he eventually shifts to the opposition he decide, he decides after some time of like uh, will he or will he not run you know drama in 2016 he runs in 2016 he wins anyway his promises was he would spend an in infrastructure which I think is relatively success or relatively successful like a lot of bridges were built airports were built, bus terminals, seaports Roads were built. Yeah, It was war on drugs, which thousands of people died. Eventually, it got so much, it got so critical that he eventually stopped it and or and scaled it down. It, you could say it's a failure because he failed to meet his uh, his deadline of six months after his inauguration that this drug problem would be solved. But in a way some, like, a lot of the supporters would still say it's a success because somehow they, cry, or at least the perception of crime relatively just. I mean, I'm not saying, like, whether it's a good or bad thing, because it really depends on, like, who you ask, but you have to put it in there. It was, and the war on drugs was also popular, by the way, if you think about it. Like, it wasn't something that scared people off. Like, at uh, least more than 50%. I don't ex- remember the exact mm-hmm. numbers, but those were like the amount of support that it received when it was actually being uh, implemented
0: Yeah, uh, but Colonel I think the question that needs to be asked over here is was there actually a need to start a war on drugs because like when I look at my country the drug situation is very bad over here like we border Afghanistan, there's a lot of opium that grows up over there and then shipped over to Pakistan and then sold over here, we have a problem with methamphetamine as well a form of methamphetamine called ice is very popular in elite schools in Pakistan. so there is a level of you know tolerance towards drugs in every society so do you think in your opinion was the situation in the philippines so bad that there was that a no tolerance right shoot on site policy had to be enacted
1: like okay one thing i wasn't i'm someone who grew up outside the Philippines but I knew like I knew some problems and the one thing that I'm most exposed to is crime and it's not necessarily drug related crimes it could be robberies it could be extortion you know but somehow like I would say a war on crime was a justified idea because like the war on drugs was not merely a, 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 a war on drugs itself it was kind of like all the criminal organizations do right? I for Me personally, I think going on after those criminals but somehow they also utilized drugs because the drugs was part of a deal of their deal, too. It was justified, but like the war on drugs, like whether with the drug situation in the Philippines, I may be uninformed, but I think it was kind of uh, I don't know, I have nothing much to say, but I think I wouldn't say it wasn't a necessity, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you know. But like yeah. going on with drugs, going on with crime, I would say it was, you know, it was actually something that
0: he did. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's an interesting thing. So, now Duterte's reign is almost over and now we're heading into the elections for the for the new president, right? So, um, can you tell us a bit more about the candidates, about Bong Marcos Jr., about the vice president? Her name is Lenny, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so so what is what do the candidates look like where do they stand um and what are the main uh, main objectives that they're campaigning on.
1: Hey, before I start, uh actually I had a lot of things to to talk more about the territory but you know it's the really interest of time let's skip. Uh about Marcos and Robredo, an interesting thing you need to note here is that back in 2016, these were like the top two candidates in in the vice presidential race and they were neck and neck like initially Marcos was like leading by midnight you know, surged up like the margin of victory was like less than 1% by the way if I remember correctly Marcos oh. filed to complain Marcos filed to complain dragged on you know it was just like so there was like some drama before so now some of the things that like so recently like uh, Marcos Release a video, like in, one, in which one part would say, he said was, "Don't make make sure nobody steals our vote." Because to him, he still thinks he was like his uh, election to the vice president, even though it was proven that he didn't win. You know, because like there were like uh, um, some recounts being done. Uh-huh. he's just saying like, "Oh yeah, remember to watch our votes when we we once election day comes." yeah just think about it there anyway back to the candidates frederick marcos jr basically the son of uh son of uh marcos senior uh his nickname is uh bong bong or other another others call him bbm from bong bong marcos so uh just to be simple i'll call him bbm from now on okay bbm was uh he was a son. He he entered Malacañang. He when his father entered Malacañang, like for the the White House of the Philippines. He was eight years old when he left. It was it was actually he was already he was already twenty twenty. Uh, I know he was like older than 25, 25 plus something already when he left. Uh, when his father was ousted, you know. Uh, some complaints about him was that he never finished his degree or he faked his degree or he's like misrepresenting what his diploma from Oxford. Ah. You know yeah, like he got into Wharton Princeton, I think. Wait, actually I am not sure, but basically I think he went to Wharton and Princeton. Uh misrepresented his misrepresented his degree or like there was some bribery that happened, then he didn't finish it. So a lot of critics of him uh present him as uneducated. But He basically is a career politician. Uh, He served as a uh, governor, he would serve, initially served as a vice governor, became a governor, became a congressman, became a senator uh, Uh in the Philippines. Then we have Lenny Robredo. Mm Lenny Robredo, back in 2010, nobody knew about her. Or probably Uh 2010-ish, basically. But uh, she, it was her husband uh, who served as the interior and local government uh, uh, secretary uh, in the Philippines. That he was he, he he presented like that guy was relatively good. He was like a sign of good governance, but sadly he died in a plane crash.
0: Uh-huh. Twenty
1: thirteen, it was our midterms. She was pushed to run. Uh, she became a congresswoman uh, of her home province. Anyway, other than that she then 2013, 2016 she decides to run for vice she gets elected to run as vice president, you know uh, as the partner of the successor the chosen successor of the previous president who didn't win. Anyway, aside from that she's a human rights activist, she's a lawyer. Uh, yeah, pretty much. then uh-huh. Probably other candidates too. Like these two are the ones that are being talked about mostly. Likely like closer to the top. Like Marcos is 50 plus percent, but you know, Lenny is like 20 percent, and the rest are like below or polling in single digits mostly. Mm-hmm. So next is Manny Pacquiao. Uh, if, you, if the same sounds familiar, he was a boxer, uh, a world mm-hmm. Like he. Like he was like popular imagine he's like muhammad ali of the philippines basically I've uh, heard next, that. yeah he actually he and he was still actually active in his boxing career until recently by the way like last i think he only retired last year next is isco moreno funny thing about him is that he was an actor and you know he was an actor doing controversial movies uh, uh uh, yeah Then eventually He became a politician He ends up being uh, The mayor of Manila Elected in uh, the, Which is our capital city In 2013 And then he basically boosts, uh, Basically does a PR Like basically He shows good governance. He uh, He implements a lot of projects That improves Manila radically uh-huh, Next uh-huh. is Ping, La, Ping Lakhson, mm-hmm. uh A former policeman He becomes the chief of police there was some, uh, there was a controversial case that happened during his time that eventually during trials about it, he was forced to run and hide outside the country with that, but it got resolved. Uh, anyway, then, so like, those were like the more popular candidates.
0: Yeah. Uh, Carlo, you were telling me about, uh, Manny Paco and uh, Moreno, um, uh, and I see you guys in the Philippines are also flirting with non-traditional politicians like we're here in Pakistan, we elected a cricketer to be our Prime Minister. And I see you guys are headed down that road too. Actually, no. Uh-huh. Like Imran caught,
1: like actually, you, like okay. The comparison between the Philippines and Pakistan is that you can compare that, yeah. We have Manny Pacquiao, who is a sportsman, one stuff for the country. Running for the presidency, but the thing about Mani Pacquiao is that the difference between Imran Khan and Mani Pacquiao is that Imran Khan had a chance to be elected as prime minister, whereas mm-hmm. Mani Pacquiao is barely, barely scraping the mark, and like he's far off from, you know, from actually reaching the top position. Maybe this is like Imran Khan in like 2011 or like you know uh-huh. before 2018, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: but uh kind of over here, I'd also like to know a bit more about uh, other institutions in the Philippines. So in Pakistan, you have something called the establishment. So tell me about the military in the Philippines, the bureaucracy. Is the military in the Philippines, is it a very important element when it comes to the political system? Or is the military firmly under the control of the political regime?
1: Okay, so anyway, back to like the history time. uh history board. um initially the the before the current uh political system that we have now post 1986 like after marcos like the military was politically powerful it wasn't something like in pakistan where the the, the military controlled the government it was like the military still the military and the government were working hand in hand like if you think about it, like the military was an effective tool of the state you know, in enforcing yeah. its rule, in enforcing its regime. But after 1986, there was like some taboo of the military that eventually they forced themselves... They, it got forced to be civilianized, in a way. Uh-huh. So now, like right now, it's not that big of a deal, to say. Um, political bureaucracy, political bureaucracy... I wouldn't say we don't have a... A mobilized gr- bureaucratic force that has full sway. What I think of as the establishment here is that those that benefited greatly of the were the, the polit- social political elites, you know, mm-hmm. that benefited greatly after the the ousting of Marcos Sr. So mm-hmm. some of them sort of like what the news out like some of them were like the largest like, what used to be their, their news, largest news outlet uh, ABS-CBN like I would identify them as somewhat identified with the elites with the establishment uh-huh. um, Robredo her political party which is like she is running as a, a, a uh, as an independent on paper but actually she's a she's a member of the liberal party who used to be like leading establishment party it wasn't an established, but basically, it was it was like the party of uh, the per, of of the predecessor, uh-huh. propelled them into power. So a lot of de- a lot of the criticism is directed towards them. You know, like like this is an establishment. They mismanaged a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, like that's basically the, the perceived like that's what's being portrayed as the old establishment and. The argument now is like we should avoid making sure that the old establishment comes back.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Also, Why? since we're in yeah. the discussion of candidates, uh, even though the vice presidential uh, uh, race is not that important, I think it's also important to mention that the leading candidate of the vice presidential race who who is the the partner of uh and marcos is duterte's daughter uh her name is Sara duterte cartio she served as mayor of Davao, you know substituting for his dad who was like term limited
0: oh. and
1: yeah you should also it also like i think this working together this unity of these two candidates kind of working together in in boosting up their lead by the way because mark uh, duterte was relatively Popular, like he, Duterte, is strongly popular. So now this is um, transferred to, to to Sara Duterte, you know, by the virtue of being a daughter. And like Ferdinand Marcos was, he's relatively popular, but not that much popular. Because uh, pre election like a, a lot of the polling, saying that a lot of people would vote for Sara Duterte. But then eventually, now as you see Sara Duterte decides to run for vice presidency. This leaves the position to. To Pablo Marcos to take on his loyal supporters, add in some of the their supporters, and boost up his speed to this majority level level, you know, of, of this level of popularity. Basically,
0: uh-huh. uh, Carlo, on the topic of uh, Bongbong Marcos, um, I have a burning question for you, which is that why do you think this duo, which represents so much privilege and represents the established order, and is now? I think that's
1: established yeah. order now.
0: Exactly, established order now. How is it that these individuals have managed to strike a chord with the normal people of the Philippines? Um, how does Bomber Marcos represent his father's legacy? Because you know, I'm an outsider, right? I don't know much about the Philippines. So when I hear about Ferdinand Marcos Sr. and Imelda Marcos, uh, I sort of, you know, intuitively, I club them together with General Sani Abacha and you know, people who have become internationally notorious for being corrupt. And obviously, my view is uh, it is based on ignorance. I'm not too knowledgeable about it. But when these people have such a bad global reputation, how have they managed to move beyond that and managed to captivate the people of the Philippines?
1: OK, so a lot of the the, the prevailing view that's being to explained to that was that there's a misinformation campaign that's going on. And a lot of po- are pointing out the weak educational system. However, I di- uh, I disagree with that. Um, I guess it's true that there is indeed a campaign that they are doing. There are trolls, definitely, that are actively sending out propaganda for them, or the positive of them.
0: However, uh-huh.
1: I would also I would also like to point out that there's disillusionment in the thirty years before Duterte about progress or like the promises of democracy, you know, like all this stuff like, oh yeah, things would be better. But again, poverty remained. Inequality, economic, like the economy was booming, but people weren't feeling about it. A lot of people were complaining about the the inadequacy of services. Somehow this leads, like basically Duterte comes in with his populist rhetoric and then, okay, gets elected. And the thing about the is that he was able to work on some of it. Like he was able to make uh just things work somehow. Like either he strong like either he strong armed them or you know with all like something that's not kind of like in a lot of way borderline undemocratic. But uh-huh. in a way, people saw it as working, and they they made it they made them like Duterte. And Then you also have this uh, campaign about Marcos. And the thing about the the previous establishment was that they always blame on the on the actions of their predecessors. Duterte, mm-hmm. even though he was kind of was compla- complaining about that, he was also using that. He did it kind of in a low key. Somehow he didn't he didn't go directly to the head like the, like the former president. He just goes on his to his allies within the government itself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Somehow created a positive picture and also Marcos somehow they were effective like it's an effective PR campaign strategy in a way to think about it that they presented themselves as a good guy like if you think about it like there's the like the the Chad meme if you like okay to make a reference to the memes like the cry the crying meme and the Chad meme in a way somehow like like from now like you can all see everyone complaining, complain complain about Marcos complain about the third thing a lot of people got so used to it, got so annoyed with it, that eventually they started, and Monocles wasn't directly attacking anyone. Somehow even, like, mm-hmm. basically there's, like, if you think, also another thing is that Filipinos like to side with a smaller man, basically. You know, like, the underdog. Somehow, uh, Marcos was effectively able to present himself as the underdog. Like, I'm the one being attacked here, I'm not the one... I'm not the bad guy. Like, they're the ones attacking me. So, uh, I think a lot of people jumped into that argument, basically, and it's it kind of, uh, you know, it kind of resonated with a lot of people. people and like, and now, this Marcos Duterte duo, basically, I think it's more of uh, a desire for continuity of what's happening under the last six years with Duterte. Because like, again, Duterte was, Duterte's popular. Like, he's yeah rank, consistently ranking about 50 55% and above in his polling what? he was wow. elected so the thing is I think and Lenny the thing about Lenny is that she she kept on attacking it so even now if she says okay I'm gonna continue some of the stuff like it got ingrained to the minds of a lot of people that Lenny was someone against Duterte so I think they're gonna go against, Like they're not they won't like, there won't be inclined to give her the vote, basically. Uh
0: huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, and Carlo, uh, the Philippines is a coastal country, so it's lots of islands and uh, archipelago. So, has climate change been an important issue on the ballot? Sadly, no, actually. I guess the closest thing to
1: an. Like, actually, no. It wasn't, it's not a big. Issue um, on the ballot right now, like I guess the 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 immediate issues that are being on the ballot right now is like when you have candidates related issues, the issues with Marcos uh, for bread, like at least the perception of bread within other within certain Duterte uh, loyalists, the legacy of Duterte. There's the response to the pandemic, economic policies. The foreign policies with China since we have a dispute with them. And yeah, pretty much those are like the big things that are being raised up, like that are being discussed right now. The environment it's being discussed, but it's not really something that's actively crusaded by or actively shown by um candidates whenever they they campaign, you know.
0: Uh-huh. And and Carlo, in your understanding, is the Philippines vulnerable to climate change? Is that a huge issue in your country?
1: Definitely, definitely. Like I talked about um, the Typhoon Haiyan situation. Yes. And these things wouldn't happen if the situation on climate isn't getting worse and worse over time. You know, uh-huh. like we—it's not normal for us to have super strong typhoons that kill thousands of people and destroy millions in pesos you know worth of of damages you know
0: definitely so uh Carlo um you are an overseas Filipino um and I just want to get an understanding of the overseas vote in the Philippines so for example in Pakistan the overseas vote is decisively in favor of Imran Khan people abroad in the united kingdom in the middle east in the united states overseas pakistanis in europe um, and beyond we tend to vote for imran khan overwhelmingly over other established political parties so in the philippines in what direction does the overseas vote go what what sort of candidates do you think are overseas filipino uh, filipinos voting for and do candidates have a have a specific policy for overseas filipinos because there's a lot there's a lot of uh, filipinos living in the diaspora right so yeah. give me a bit of an understanding about where this is going for you guys
1: okay in terms of the way filipinos vote if 2019 would be used as an example 2019 uh 2019 was uh, the midterms in 2019 was a somewhat a bellwether. Like if you could, you know, try like assume that the was like relatively popular at that time. The is relatively popular now. So like let's say, you know, let's copy that and let, uh, let's assume it's going to be same. I think it's going to be an overwhelming win for for Marcos. And and cause during that time, it was a landslide for the the like the Duterte coalition basically, like in the Senate seat in the Senate race because. Uh, yeah like no one from the opposite like the opposition was basically washed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh same goes with uh same goes with the the what do you call this? The, the diaspora vote during that time. It voted overwhelmingly for Pro Duterte candidates. I guess this point since even though Duterte hasn't explicitly endorsed a presidential candidate, science present and a lot of his you know, a lot of Duterte allies kind of already supported uh Mark Marcos already. And Duterte is also supporting his daughter who's running with Marcos. So somehow there's like already a nudge, like there's kind of like a direction towards Marcos. But so I think it's gonna be the same. It's also gonna be the same uh, you know, if election if people would just vote for someone based on who endorses them and also, from a personal experience, when I talk to Filipino workers here, mm. like, by the way, Filipino students tend to be overwhelmingly for Lenny. Uh, I would count myself as an outsider for that. Uh, but if I would talk to, like, uh, workers, you know, like nurses, um, service, service uh, people working in the service industry, uh, mm. drivers within, you know, if I talk to them, like, hey, who are you going to vote for? would say Marcos because somehow and somehow they were satisfied with like they want the continuity of the death, but basically somehow they uh they dislike they have a, there's a strong dislike of Lenny with, or these the way she does things the way she approaches things you know or presents things that's being done by the and
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can also like you can all, probably also point out the campaign against her you know like the social media manipulation but I think it's like a
0: mix of two, yeah. Uh huh. Very nice. Uh, so, Carlo, in closing remarks, you know, I was following the French elections, and it was predicted that Manuel Macron would edge edge out Marine Le Pen, and the predictions were correct, and things went as predicted. And now the predictions are that Bombo Marcos will win. So, do you think the fate of this election is already sealed?
1: Okay. Um. About that. I like to say it's already sealed because uh, I I like the I don't know I'm someone who's relatively, support, relatively supportive of uh, Marcos like I actually voted for him like by the way we even though the election is going to be on Monday for overseas uh, Filipino voters we start voting a month ahead you ah. know so yeah but the thing is like I would say like I would say it's like 100% sure win. like I would still say like what if the polls are like even though I believe in the scientific polls sometimes some people misrepresent their views like they're, they're, uh-huh. there's a possibility depending on what's considered acceptable. it may be a it might be a minor thing but I think it's still possible you know that that could happen that people are you know presenting their views but I don't really think it's something that's going to happen like I think there's sufficient I think from the base of like the people I talk to or are, are, you know like the discourse that I'm exposed to
0: uh-huh.
1: it's going mm-hmm. to be a, like Marcos is really popular mm. and a lot of people would definitely vote for for, for Marcos in, on mm-hmm. Monday mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. and definitely. I don't think it's gonna be something that's like a neck and neck race like in 2016 I think it's gonna be like it would be the same way as it is being portrayed in the polls now. Like it's like 20-30% lead point, you know, you know, against compared to
0: Lenny. Lenny. Yeah. Yeah, and that lead doesn't just disappear into thin on, air on the election day. So uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh that's all the questions I have for you today, Carlo. Uh this is a fantastic conversation. I'd like you to come again and then maybe we can talk about the Philippines uh colonial era, right? When it was under colonism under the United States. I don't think we talk about that enough. Maybe we can talk a bit more about the war on drugs as well. So thank you so much for coming in today, man. And I hope you join us again sometime soon.
1: I hope to uh, I hope to join you so I'm and I'm also looking forward to your future episodes. Hey if either I'm there or not. Like I actually like I like your podcast by the way. So, thank yeah. you so much, man. Really looking you so forward
0: much. to them thank you so much man thank you for your time today and i'll see you around and have a good summer break have a good summer break too all right bye bye-bye. bye bye